This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give this show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. Well, we're going to be continuing in on our endeavor to examine the first two chapters of Luke and listen to those four hymns that we have in those first two chapters. So thus far in the songs of the season, in our hymns of Advent, we have listened to the songs of Mary, the Magnificat, and the song of Zechariah, Benedictus. Both were centered around Scripture, and both were thoroughly focused upon the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, what we just sang about, breaking into space-time history, the very lifetime of both Mary and Zechariah. Now, the two hymns that we have heard thus far and have sang thus far have been centered around individuals, Mary and Zechariah. One of poor Virgin Mary, one of esteemed, aged Abraham-like Zechariah, these two individuals. But today, our song is going to be a little different. Now, I'm going to keep with what I've been doing the past two weeks, and you get a poll right up front, all right? It's like the Pew Research Center here. How many of you have ever been to like a ball game or something like that, and a chant starts, like a clubhouse song, right? Mostly everybody in here has been to something like that. Maybe you don't know what a clubhouse song is, a clubhouse chant. You will in just a second, because we're all going to do one together, all right? And you've done it before, right? It's, it's an example like this. If you go to a UK football game or basketball game, I know that's a sore subject for many right now. There's a chant that, that's cajoled out of fans, and it goes kind of like this. Oh... C-A-T-S, cats, 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 right? We, we know this. We know this one. So one guy or girl chanting this by themselves in a stadium of 25,000 people, they may do that joyfully, but it doesn't really have much effect on the team, does it? But there is grandeur when all 25,000 people do it in unison. That makes for a fearsome and triumphant thing, doesn't it? Nick, right now, it's so just providential that talking about this, this very moment right now, probably the biggest sporting event in the entire world is going on right now, the World Cup Final, right? Because there's this sport called soccer. I don't know if you've heard of it here in Kentucky. They kick a ball around and they run a lot. We don't like to do that here. Uh, there's a national teams playing right now to see who's the best in all the world. I think it's what France and Argentina, France and Argentina. And you know what they're doing right now? They're doing these clubhouse chants like this over in Qatar. And we actually know one that they're probably doing today. You've heard it. And as soon as I start doing it, you'll know it's the ole, 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 ole. Yeah, you know this. That's a clubhouse chant. Everybody joins in together. And when this entire group probably today, of hundreds of thousands of people join in to do that, whether they win or whether they lose, there's a powerful experience with the multitude 
of people doing a song. So today, we're going to be examining the only group choral hymn that we have in Luke 1 and 2. May it be that we have ears to hear and voices to add to the chorus that we may sing Gloria from this day forevermore. Turn your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 will be in verses 1 through 20 today. Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20, and it is a beautiful noise to hear those pages flipping. Hear the living word of God this morning. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration of uh, Quirinius, who was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. In the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. With the angels, they went away from, from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered and what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, would you allow us to be like the shepherds, to join in praising and glorifying you, song, which is your song that you've given to them, would we be struck with fear, the presence of a holy God, that we may live holy before you as you are holy, but not a fear of judgment, but a fear of, of wisdom and joy to delight in the God who loves us. Would we join in in singing this song? Would you have your Holy Spirit prepare each of our hearts, convict us of sin, have us to draw ourselves near to you in repentance? Would the word that we examine this morning go into fertile ground in our hearts that it may bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold? Would we be more like your son? And would we join the song of the shepherds and the angels this day? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Well, as we come to Luke chapter 2, the focus now shifts from Zechariah, Elizabeth, the birth of John, to the most important birth in all of human history, the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, Luke does not give much detail concerning the political, the historical, the cultural background, and the tension, really, the, the mass tension leading up to the birth of Christ, which is given in the, the account that Matthew has in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 as well. Uh, Matthew and Luke, they're not contradictory by any means. It is just that Luke and Matthew, they're focusing on different aspects of what's going on in salvation history. Luke does give us a, a, a very quick federal or empire government overview, looking at the setting of the political climate and the Roman Empire there, whereas Matthew kind of really focuses in on the local political atmosphere of that kind of jacked up family known as the Herodians. So Luke tells the birth of the Savior as happening during a specific time, uh, period of time in or around the uh, rule of Caesar Augustus, who is also known as Octavian. Maybe you history nerds, Sophia, know him as Octavian. Luke keys us into the fact that there was some sort of census that took place, and using Luke's language in verse 3, each had to be registered in his own town. Now, we don't know which census this was because, quite frankly, there were a lot of them. There was a lot of people counting in the Roman Empire for a long time. So, each has to go to his own town to be registered in this census. Well, hold on a minute. Joseph didn't meet Mary in Bethlehem, did he? he? He met her in Galilee of the nations. He probably had property in Galilee. Maybe like a little starter home, tiny house he was starting on, right? He, he had built her a house. This was the Jewish custom for a man to build a house and for he and his bride. And then Joseph being a carpenter probably worked in and around the area of Galilee fixing tables, building tables, putting houses together, those types of things. So why did he have to go to Bethlehem, to the house of bread, as it is? Well, in the times of the census here, censuses, that's a fun word to say, they could get quite complicated and confusing. But in short, certain registrations, whatever it may be, they, it required those individuals to return to where they held what was called mainline family property. So Luke gives us some insight into that when he says Joseph was of the lineage of David and David, David's lineage and family property that Joseph's family was a part of was in Bethlehem. It's very likely that there may have even been a small plot of ground that was belonged to Jesse or David the king himself that his family still had possession of that they went back to. In verse 6, in verse 6, while Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem, it comes time for the baby to be born. We've been talking about that a whole lot in my house the past few days. It comes time. We're anxiously waiting. The young girl who Joseph was betrothed to, she's with child. Now, we aren't completely sure whether Joseph and Mary are now fully married or not. We just know that they're betrothed. They could have went ahead with the full marriage. We don't know. Whatever the case may be, if fully married, then people would have seen her pregnant. 
do some math, and then possibly accuse Joseph and Mary of being fornicators and impure. If they were still just in the betrothal stage, this allegation may have also been there, or that Mary was a a loose young woman and that Joseph was covering it up because he felt sorry for her. Whatever the case may be, think about this. It's not a good thing socially for either Mary or Joseph in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary, with the birth pangs coming, are rapidly seeking a place to just have the kid. I pray that's not us, right? They aren't even worried about a down feather bed. They're not worried about a birth plan. They're not worried about anything like that. They just need to have this child, this special child. So Luke tells us there was no place for them at the inn. That hits home for us, doesn't it? Because where are we at? (laughs) We're worshiping at the Ramada Conference Center with a hotel right next door. Right? Hotels during this time, motels, hotels. They weren't like the Ramada. They weren't like the Marriott. They weren't even like the Knight's Inn, the bottom of the barrel, okay? Everybody chuckles because you've stayed in a Knight's Inn at least one time, Mansfield, Ohio, right? They, they had none of that. I, they did have free donuts at the Knight's Inn. I will say that. I do remember that. That's the only thing. There, were, there was nothing even like this in this time period. Hotels were, were basically just like rooms rented out in people's homes, guest rooms in larger houses. There weren't like this complex of rooms like we have right next door. A, a good example of what a hotel or, or seeking a room at the inn or at an inn, of what that would have looked like is actually in Acts 2 at Pentecost. The 120 are gathered in, the, the upper, in this upper room when the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost. This have, would have been very much like a hotel, a room that's rented out. And in verse 7 here in Luke chapter 2, the Greek word translated for in is kataluma. Kataluma. And this word is often used in regard to the action of, of tying up an animal. Think about like the Old West. You know, you're, you've rolled into town on your, your noble steed and you're looking for the saloon to get you some sarsaparilla. And you tie up that horse or that donkey, whatever you're riding, on that post out front. In the context and, and way verse 7 of chapter 2 here uses it, it, it actually does connote the idea of, of just trying to find a place, an inn, to just tie up your animal so you can get off of it and get some rest. So this word here signifies that where Joseph was trying to go was a place they could just tie up the donkey. Any place. A guest room. A, a, a lodging place. Anywhere. But guess what? They didn't have anywhere. There was nothing. Foxes have dens. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man, even at His birth, had no place to rest His head. Matthew 8.20 Everyone is in town for the census. And so, as some scholars also state, there's a logical probability that that Joseph tried to even go to a relative's house, and they, they couldn't even find kinfolk who would let he and the girl in, possibly to shame them. So in verse 7 of Luke 2, 
we behold the first greatest event in salvation history, the birth of the Savior. Oh, we've been waiting for this all the way since Genesis chapter 3 with the first pronouncement unto Eve that there would come a seed from her that would crush the head of the serpent. And Abraham and David and all the prophets, we can't wait. Tell us all about it. We have to see this. This is Isaiah 7, 14 that we read this morning. Come to pass. Give us the details. <gasps> One verse. Just completely glossed over. Like it's no big deal. Like it's you're ordering your Big Mac and fries at McDonald's. Glossed over. Have you noticed that before? Because even literarily within the scriptures, the words and the way that they're laid out, the Holy Spirit wants us to see, wants you to see and to know that the birth of the Savior, the most significant birth of all time, happened in the most insignificant way. That from the very inception of His earthly life, the Savior of the world was glossed over, regarded as nothing. That from His birth to His grueling, sacrificial death for you in your place, Jesus was this baby grown into man of sorrows, as Isaiah 53 talks about, we esteemed Him, we looked upon Him not. He was nothing to us. In either the courtyard of a kindred's house who would finally let them in, which is where you would keep the animals tied up out front, or in a cave, which was used as a barn, in a setting like this, the Savior of the world is born. Now, I want to do a thought experiment with you this morning. I want you to not physically close your eyes because I know somebody will go to sleep. But in your mind's eye, I want you to paint this picture with me. The cool night breeze stirs up the stench of animal feces. If you've been in a barn before or you have a barn, Sometimes it can get quite overwhelming, can it? These animal smells grow larger and more nauseating as the contractions get closer together and harder and harder for this young girl. A cow moos, a donkey neighs, maybe a couple chickens cluck here and there. And from where they are, Joseph and Mary, they can hear heckling and laughter from a room close by. It's a room that Mary wishes that she were in. Her stomach turns from the smells as her skin chills from the cool air of night. Her water breaks along with a dam of Anxiety and panic and pain. She's all alone. The only person she has to comfort her is, is her husband, Joseph. There's no excited and welcoming family like there was with the birth of John that Mary likely was a part of. No, Mary is an outcast. She's groaning. She's hurting. She's pushing. She's crying. And then the pressure eases 
as she hears a cry that it's not her own. The Savior of the world has come forth into the hands of a man who is not his father as he fumbles to catch the slippery and bloody child. There's no nursery for him. There's no bed. Just strips of used cloth and a manger. And we see this this little manger in our mind, you have it in your mind right now, of a nice little wooden trough with hay in it. But the manger of the first century in the ancient Near East was not like that. It wasn't like your nativity scene. Those are modern. See, a manger in this time was a, a ditch hollowed out into the ground where animal food could be thrown in or tossed, or it was a large rock that was hollowed out. The Word made flesh, the Son of God, that longed for Messiah, born and then placed in the ground. What an awe-striking foreshadow of what this child was destined for. Born to die and lay within the ground for the sins of His people. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth through His death. Do you see the weight behind verse 7? Glossed over, but there beneath the surface. In verse 8, as we shift, it's like a master director the Holy Spirit is. He shifts settings. As this is going on, out in the fields nearby were shepherds keeping watch over flocks. And these flocks were most likely meant to be temple sacrifices. See, just as Mary and Joseph were at the bottom of the societal scale, outcasts, there's some rumors going around. So too were the shepherds. They also were outcasts. We read of God being this good shepherd king of His people in, in Psalm 23, that, that song that we sing so often here, or, or of Jesus being the, the good shepherd when He gets older. And we have this imagery as if the shepherd is like a, uh, I don't know, like little farm owners who decide to open up petting zoos out in the field, right? Oh, look, we've got these little lammies and they're fuzzy. Come pet them. And it's donation basis. We'll give you some carrots to feed them too, right? We think this is what the shepherds were like watching over their cute little flocks as they, you know, jump around like you see at the ark, right? What's that goat's name that's famous there? Zebulun. Zebulun. Like Zebulun, the famous goat at the ark. But that's not at all what it is. So shepherds were outcasts. They were at the bottom of the totem pole. They were roughnecks. They had the mom tattoo on their neck right here because they'd been in prison. They had the teardrop. They were roughnecks. And they had to be, especially with flocks that kicked and bit and nipped and wandered off. And shepherds, they were even barred from being witnesses in court because just by their profession, they were deemed to just be liars and untrustworthy. They were, they were viewed as nothing more than a higher animal of the same flock that they watched over. Like a, an alpha male that took care of the, the betas underneath of him. It's these outcasts that are the very first 
people to have the actualized gospel proclaimed to them. These roughneck shepherds pulling the night shift out in pitch darkness, maybe even cursing under their breath, are blinded by this light of the glory of the Lord as an angel breaks out through it in this awesome, awesome light. And it pierces the darkness and it pierces their darkened hearts. I love the language that Luke uses, that the glory of the Lord shone all around these shepherds. That's alluding to the fire by day, or the cloud by day and the fire by night back with the tabernacle in the wilderness. God has come. He has manifested Himself. Out of nowhere, this light comes. They are terrified. Right, These roughnecks, you can think, they're, they're probably going, Our judgment has come! Oh, we should have stopped playing cards an hour ago! We probably should have went to, to, to synagogue a couple more times this week, even though we haven't been all year. Oh, the Lord's come to, to judge us and kill us. But the angel says, fear not. Be not afraid. Your judgment is not at hand. No. Actually, I've come to give you the gospel, the good news. And it's joyful news, not only for you at the bottom of society, but for all people from the lowest to the highest. This very day, this is the good news, this very day in the city of David, just over the hill in Bethlehem, is, for, is the Savior, the Messiah, who is the Lord. He is born. The song of Isaiah 7:14 that we read about this morning has come to pass. Here it is again. Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is it. You roughnecks. It's here. Wake up. Now the angel, we, we don't know who it was, but it's not unlikely that it was the angel Gabriel, who has made two appearances thus far through Zechariah and Mary. And speaking of this good news, this angel, he evangelizes, he proclaims the good news to these shepherds, this gospel of salvation for the world. And this good news, it's not just something that's happening in a royal court somewhere, a court system. The Supreme Court passed something. It's not precedent. No, this good news comes from the loins of a lowly girl into the ears of lowly men in the fields. See, the angel tells the shepherds to go, to go and find a child wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a hold-out piece of rock in a manger. Go, go see for yourselves. Go see. And it is right here, right here, at the most unexpected time in history to the most unexpected people that the most unexpected good news is proclaimed and followed by the most unexpected chorus of song. This soul angel is joined by the rest of the multitude of the heavenly hosts from angels to cherubim to the voices of the planets and the resounding of the stars, the seen and the unseen heavens burst out in song. It's as if Psalm 148 comes to pass in real time right before these shepherds hear this. Psalm 148, 1 through 4. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him sun and moon. Praise Him all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens. And guess what? 
That's what happened on that silent night. It really wasn't silent at all. Like, you, like music and headphones in your AirPods that you've got. This song of, jubilant, of, the, of the jubilant universe is filtered only to the ears of the shepherds. It's not a stereo on play for everybody else to hear. Like, what is that? It's straight to the ears of the shepherds. Do you know their song? The song of the angels. You should hear it this morning. Hear it this morning. Glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or as the the King James puts it, I love it. Glory to God in the highest, peace and goodwill among men. The shepherds hear this heavenly song, and it is a song of salvation. Glory to God in the highest. Peace, good pleasure from Him upon mankind. All right, now go ye shepherds and find it this night, just as the angel said. And they do. And they do. They search frantically until nearly out of breath. Billy Bob, did you check that cave over there? No, Cletus, I didn't, because they're all rednecks. They stumble into the cave, and then their breath is taken completely away when they see it exactly as the angel said. Falling on their knees, weeping, unable to speak. Mary, sore, startled. Joseph in protection mode, like he's about to take these guys out. What are you doing? But the shepherds, they finally speak what happens, and Mary treasures up every single one of these memories in her heart and thinks about them continually. Because after all, she tells Luke exactly what happened that night. The shepherds, they see this and they praise God and they can't even believe it. We, we, we use this phrase in modernity of like, oh man, have you had, have you had Rob's brisket? It's a, it's a religious experience. They really actually did have this religious experience and it changed their life completely. They, they walk out of this cave or wherever they were. They're praising God. They're singing the same song as the angels. Glory to God in the highest. And guess what? We've sang this song this morning and it has been sang from that night forth and it will be until kingdom come. Have you heard it? Do you know it? You do, because it is a popular Christmas tune. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. You know it. You ready? Gloria in excelsis Deo. That's the angel's song. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Remember how with Mary's song, the Magnificat, and, and Zechariah's song, the Benedictus, each song got its name from the Latin translation of the Bible. The first word of that song is what the title is for it. So the Magnificat, magnify, my soul magnifies the Lord, and the Benedictus, blessed be. That's where we get the, the song Gloria. The first word in the Latin translation is Gloria. Gloria. Glory to God in the highest. The highest praise and honor and life 
lived, be given unto God. Why? Because He is the only being worthy of this type of praise. Because of this very fact, He should be praised. And not only the highest praise, but the highest heaven He be glorified in. Every planet, every star, every galaxy, every angel, every seraphim, every cherubim, even the demons will praise Him. The highest praise because it is from this glorious God that all of reality lives and moves and has its being in. But not only highest praise from the highest places, but gloria to God from here upon the low plains of earth. Why? Why not just have the highest praise from the highest heavens and the highest beings? Why do we have to have all these lowly people, these lowly beings, us, in the plains below? Why? Because of peace. From the God of all peace. As the shepherds heard the song that night and heard of peace on earth, they couldn't believe it. Just like we can't believe it. Right? They, they would have said something like this, like, but Rome. We'll say today, but all the goofy stuff going on in our government, but China, but Russia. But the peace that was being sang of by the myriads of angels was what they had so longed for, for so long. And these angels even wondered and wished they could look into this peace and the salvation that they were proclaiming. Peace here, not on a star out in the galaxy somewhere, not on another planet with no life. Peace right here, good earth that was to cover the entire earth and spread out like a beacon into all of the universe. Peace, not, not between man and man, as if God breaks into the silent night like a, like a sleepy third shift manager being like, all right, you guys, break it up. No, 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 no. Peace between man and man is completely impossible and for naught if there is not first peace between God and man. Peace and goodwill toward men. See, this is the greatest peace. This is the peace you must long for. If you do not have it, you must have it. The peace of the wrath of God against sin. The great chasm bridged. Eden restored. And we do not see Eden in this very narrative just over in the side. It's popping out right in front of us if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Christ born in a stable amidst the animals. Shepherds out in the fields exercising dominion over creatures. The heavenly hosts reuniting with the earth to praise God for His mighty work and restoration. Oh, that this, this would come to full fruition. That's why we keep talking about one of the themes in Scripture is Eden is being restored and it has started right here. It starts right here on this holy night. That's not all. See, Eden had the tree of life. And so too, right here on this night, a tender shoot from the loins of Jesse, the father of David, is born. This shoot would grow up into the true tree of life. This shoot was planted in the ground of that rocky manger and in 30-some-odd years would grow up into a tree of a splintery cross of life and salvation for you, dearly beloved. Glory to God in the highest 
and peace on earth, goodwill to men. Why? Because God became a man, lived in perfect obedience to the standard and the glory of God in His own law, then died a death that sinners deserve, yet He never sinned. Sin was not in Him, but His people's sin was upon Him. He was placed in a tomb, back into the ground. The grown child's body lay, but it did not stay there. Three days later, He arose from behind that stone, the stone, to prove He was who He said He was, God in the flesh. Death could not hold Him down because the wages of sin is death, yet He never sinned. His birth, His life, His death, His lying in the tomb, His resurrection is the most glorious peace treaty of all time because it is a peace treaty based in the goodwill and pleasure of God. It's nothing that you can do. It is all of God. Amen? Amen? For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will have as their ruler this Prince of Peace. So have you done that today? Do you join in with this song of the angels? If you have not, you must. For there comes a day when God will gloriously bring an end to all this reality as we know it. Eden will completely, fully be restored. Either way, either in your death or the consummation of the kingdom, all will stand before Him to be judged. There will be no time for arguing your case. For Christ Himself, He said, those who reject Him, they stand while living, judged and condemned already. Before God on that great and terrible day, a just verdict will be spoken in your ear by Jesus Himself. If because of your hardened heart and rejection of Him, it will be wrath, but if because of your humble repentance that He gives you in the proclamation of gloria in your life, you will have glorified peace forever. Would that not be sometime later on when you think you're done doing your wild oding? May it be, it must be today. And if it already is, and I pray it is, would you glorify God? Would you sing glory to God in the highest and peace and goodwill toward men? What grace, what mercy, what joy that God looks upon men pleased not because of anything that we would do, but because of what He has done. This life, this birth, this, this resurrection, this death, this ascension of Jesus Christ. Today, I pray that we all would join in singing this anthem with the angels. May we, like Mary, glory of God in our hearts. May we, like the shepherds, walk out of this very place glorifying and praising God for all that we have heard, all that we have seen, and all that we have partook in. May we see the Prince of Peace in our mind's eye come into the world just as we are. We are often and we are always naked and vulnerable and pitiful. See, we can follow this Prince of Peace in every regard because He became just as we are, yet without sin, and is able to sympathize with us. We can trust Him just as the shepherds trusted the word of the angels. Would we not walk from this? Would we walk out of this place into our life, which so often looks like that dark night, and would we light it up with the shouts of praise brighter than even this host of angels because we have the Son of Righteousness which has dawned in our lives.
May we realize that this child would grow to proclaim this very song of Gloria in excelsis Deo. Jesus himself would sing this song, the very song that we have sang today, that was sung that night, that has been sang every day since. He proclaimed glory to God in the highest. We actually have it in Scripture. Did you know that? Jesus doesn't say, turn in your hymnals to hark the herald angels or angels we have heard on high. Turn to that psalm. No, listen to what He lays in front of us and we, we miss it every time. And when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. That's glory to God in the highest. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. You know what that is? That's peace on earth. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's goodwill towards those whom He has pleased. The Lord's Prayer is the song of the angels. Every time we pray that, and I pray you do that in your life, you are singing the song that the angels sang this night, this morning. I beg you as we close, come right now. If you have not, come to Bethlehem and see Him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee. Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you. Let's pray.